Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I want to welcome you gentlemen to the Connect the Water podcast, presented, actually I'm going to say powered by Joey Cardi Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. Right, and fueled by Papa's Pilar Rum, who remind you never to be a spectator. Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. Papa would be proud. Papa would be proud, indeed. Um, I want to mention that we have the lovely Carlene with us once Hello. again. Welcome. Right? And, it's you know, when episodes happen without you sitting there, it's like this, like this void in the room that's just not, and when you're here, it's like, all right, we're home. Oh, I appreciate so, it. So, thank you for coming Mom again. here. Mm-hmm. Mama's here. So, um, Justin, doing good. Um, I want to ask you a question about goats, right? <laughs> because a good friend of ours, Tiny Walcott, um, was telling me a story about a goat and how you you, you don't like them, right? Or, or wh- what's the deal with the goats? Uh, well, there was a couple of stories with some goats in Africa, in West Africa, where Tiny and I fished together. Okay. And uh, one season there, we were really bored. So he didn't want to eat them, right, or something like that? No, no. Well, we, we, we bought a couple of goats for the guys to eat that work for us. We, okay. we actually we were really bored one day, so we paid one of the kids to wrestle the goat. <laughs> That's to, right. Just for something to do. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and, then, um, and then another time there, we bought a couple of goats for, for, for the guys to eat. And then we watched the whole, like... Ceremony, how they, you know, um, you know, kill them and clean them and ate them. And, uh-huh. and, they uh, do a ceremony? Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, just like a sacrifice? little... Sacrifice? Sa- not the sacrifice. It's more just like a little... They do like a dance in a, a little, circle yeah, and everything? Really? And, yeah. It's just kind of a little, a little group thing amongst the guys. And, yeah, they get around and they shave it all with a razor blade. And then they, uh, then they um, boil them and eat them. doesn't taste very good. But, uh, yeah, that's a... No. African L- goat, low gamey. So there was no glory holes involved in this. <laughs> well, that, well, that, well, that's that, that's a, that's a different goat story. You're confusing it with the Madeira goat story. 
and you get a uh, that that's when I wasn't there. I mean, for, wait, there's a Madeira goat story. Yeah, yeah. How's that go? Well, um, I wasn't there for this. It was it was the first season when the French look was there, and James Roberts told me this story years ago, and. Uh, so uh, I guess how that goes is they, were, they were, had the mothership Here anchored up. the police up. talking about goat stories. <laughs> Here we go. That happens a lot during the podcast because we're right near the firehouse. So <laughs> never mind the it's fire truck. Anyway, anyway, they had the French look um, anchored up in the bay there in, in front of Funchal. And uh, I guess they were bored one day. So they got on there. They had a big, um, oh, I guess it was like a, no, wasn't it, wasn't, it was like a fixed sight thing they had mounted. Not a telescope, but, you know, anyway, it's a really powerful I guess it was a telescope, and they started looking around, you know, because Madeira's beautiful big backdrop and all these houses, and they started looking at the, at the island, you know, through this telescope in there, looking at all the different ha- areas, and all of a sudden, they <laughs> I remember this. They, they see, oh. you know, briefly what looks like a guy's, like, well, guy's ass, you know, going like this, <laughs> and they kind of glance past, and they're kind of going, did we just see something there? You know, we, we should look back. And uh, <laughs> we should look back. Yeah, this is pretty. I mean, I'll tell you the story anyway. You brought Carly t- brought it up, so I'll tell it. But anyway, so they realized that is, there's a guy making a joke. There's apparently a story behind this, so please. Really? Yeah. So there's a guy, you know, uh, fornicating with a goat, and an old man <laughs> on his, in his little in his backyard next to his house, and uh, they they were watching. They were, I can't believe what we're seeing. You know, so anyway, come on. He gets done, you know, and then and then the goat goes back into the yard and he goes into his house. Wait, wait, wait. He gets done. Like, so you guys just kept watching it? I wasn't watching it. This is, this is a story I've heard. But, yeah, they were, all, they were quite, you know, they couldn't really believe what they were seeing, I guess. They just got really, you know, <laughs> having sex with this goat on the mountain in front of the boat right now. And yeah, he was. And then, so just so, it's funny. And then they, they saw that. And then, I guess it was a couple of days later. They ever, ever, Obviously, everybody on the boat found out about it. I guess they're, all, they're probably taking turns looking at it. And uh, just for a joke, I guess, about three or four days later, the chef was bored one day and said, oh, I guess I'll just go and have a look to Gary. And there he was again with no. the goat. Yeah, so it's, it's a regular regular thing for him, I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So, Bo Jennings, everybody. Thank you. World-class Marlon Angler. Um, very accomplished, right? You, granders and records and, right? So, just so for those of you listening and watching at home. The incomparable. Yeah, right? I am in the presence of greatness here. Like, sans goat story. As are we. Right? Oh, thank you. Supreme artiste. So, um, I appreciate you coming today. And, uh, you know, we're here to solve all the world problems this afternoon uh, over a glass or two or three of rum. And um, I also have no stranger to the studio, Carl Anderson. Great to be back. Thank you very much, my friend, uh, for coming in again and dragging Bo in here, kicking and screaming. Yep. Um, then he said rum, and they said, oh, okay, then I'll come. So. Rum, rum made it yep. all happen, yeah. as it usually does. Mm-hmm. Easily the, persuaded. Throw the cap off of it and let her rip. Yeah. So you just got back from um, the Mid-Atlantic, but you yep. gentlemen have fished all over the world. Um, if there's a place on this planet that has big fish, chances are you guys have dragged baits over it, right? So There's a few more. Yeah. But a few more left. Both hit a whole bunch of them. And yeah. Bo's hit a couple I haven't hit, and I've hit a couple he hasn't hit. So, yeah, kind of pans out. All right, all and right. So we always, we always talk about where's our next place we want to go. So where haven't you hit? Uh, you know, I haven't fished Kona, and I always wanted to go fish Kona. Really? Just to do it, yeah, just to uh, go and go lure fishing for big marlin, and that's what I like to do. And always wanted to go there and you know fish the season somehow, or, or at least to 
put a good shot in at it. Yeah. I mean, Tiny's there right now. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. He's had decent fishing, too. Yeah, he's killing so, it out there. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of one of the places. It's kind of one of those places that's an iconic place in our industry. And um, I'd love know, to go there, I, too. I would like to go do that and uh, just because uh, it's a style of fishing that I like, and it's heavy tackle, mm-hmm. uh, which I really like. But I like it all, so it doesn't big really. Big fish over there. Big fish. Spearfish, too. Big fish is a big thing. Yep. It's a, uh, that's a uh, big attraction for anything. It's like chasing the tunas everywhere. That's why we went to all the places to catch tunas. Mm-hmm. And I got a couple of places I want to go do that. It's different areas, you know. I'd like to go to Norway. I want to go fish Norway tunas. That'd be cool. Um, this summer there, they caught them. So I'd like to you ever been to Norway? Oh, yeah. My family's from you, I know, but I'm saying you've been there, oh, though, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. A lot of times. My whole family's from Ireland. I've never been there. I was in Ireland year before last i went over to scout out going tuna fishing yeah and uh, i got out with for a day with a guy and uh we we saw the fish we didn't get to catch them because by 11 o'clock it was literally blowing 50 knots and we had to go in because the port you know the port uh, harbor masters puts restrictions on and you have to be back in but uh and then it it was actually a hurricane that came from here and ended up on the coast of ireland and it blew the living bejesus so i didn't get to fish any other days but uh hopefully when all this stuff is over we can uh, start traveling again yeah and right get back over there right great guy great boat you know and he's catching catching fish real well yeah that's nice and you're so. obviously you're from australia right yeah so australia. and how long have you been you live here full-time now yeah though, i've right? been here for nearly it'll be 11 years this year so this is the question that i've had cooking my brain all day that i wanted to ask you right so you're or World accomplished marlin angler. Like this, that's just a fact. Okay, and you fished all over the world. What brings you here? Oh, I moved here because I got uh, got married. My wife's from here. Ah, oh, there you go. Women, I tell you. Yeah, <laughs> yep. they get you, right, Carlene? Yep. They get you. Hook, line, and sinker. Just yep. like a fish. Mm-hmm. Got me on. All right, just so like you got here. Marlin. So you got married, and then all right. So but here. you're still traveling all over fishing. Uh, not as much as what I used to. You know, I used yeah. to do do a, like charter seasons where you go for three or four months mm-hmm. and I don't really w- want to be gone that long from home so I usually go away for a week couple of weeks maybe a month you know at the most but you mostly it's just tournaments you know like go to a tournament okay a couple of tournaments here and there however however mm-hmm. just spent a month fishing with the probably the most iconic tarpon fisherman ever Tom Evans uh uh, in uh, Homosassa, right? You were over there mm-hmm. for a yeah. month. They were record fishing. Yeah, fly nice. fishing eight pound for tarpon. Something totally out of Bo's wheelhouse, but totally capable to do. How'd it go? We didn't get the record. We had uh, one on that was big enough, uh-huh. and then we jumped off. But uh, it was really cool. It was interesting. You know, it was a style of fishing I'd never... I'd done fly fishing for marlin with him, but never like that on the flats. Right. And, uh, yeah, I heard a lot about... That's kind of different. Oh, it's very Yeah, different. I mean, where it's yeah. more like you're dropping it into the spread and, you know, and teasing it up and everything, and then... The tarpon, it's more of kind of like... It's totally sight casting. Yeah, yeah. You wait for the sight. school to come, to get up on the school and cast them. It's tricky, you know. A lot of them refuse to fly, just like the marlin did. <laughs> right, same, right. Same way. But uh, I, I enjoy the, ch- the challenge of trying to catch them on the fly because it's, it's one of the hardest ways to catch them. Such a beautiful fish, man. It, it really, really... I mean, just the, just the way they fight. and Yeah, I mean, just the way they fight and they arc their back like that. It's such power and grace and... And not to mention the fact that, you know, it's not the easiest hook to yes. keep in the mouth, no, you know, so you got to really be on point, like, every second of that, that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Homosassa. Nice. Let's get some big tarpon over there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, back in the day, that was 
of the spot, and it was one of the best tarpon fisheries of all time. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's, the numbers aren't there what they used to be like, but they still come through there mm-hmm. occasionally. You know, we saw a couple there one day that were like, the, the guide said was 170, 180, you know, like big tarpon. We didn't see any 200, but that was still big fish. And to see a fish like that in six foot of water, yeah. crystal clear water, is pretty incredible. What was yeah. the class and pound you were going for? Uh, 124. What we no, sorry, 124. No, 127. I think 127 is what we're trying to beat. Yeah. So it was a hard, yeah, hard, hard record to beat. Yeah. On eight pound, you don't have, you can't, don't have, you can't have any lift. You know what I mean? Right. We, right. We, all the fish we caught, we'd, they weren't big enough, but we'd fight them for a while and we'd get them right there. And Tom would put on just a little bit more drag and it would break. You know, so I figure with the eight pound, you just have to get really lucky. Yeah. You know, fish would just have to give you the perfect shot. The head's got to turn right every just, time. And, and trying yeah. to gaff them as well, trying to penetrate. You know, a marlin are way easier to gaff than tarpons. You know, marlin's skin's easier to penetrate. That type right. of those big scales, you know, so and, and the angle of the shot, and it's not easy. You know, I give it to all those guys that have caught those tarpon records on fly. Mm-hmm. They earned them for sure. Yeah, right. You know. It's a tough fish, man. Mm-hmm. It's a tough fish. When you get a tarpon, a big tarpon in the boat, you really, that's that's an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Especially on fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, I want to talk a little bit about mid-Atlantic stuff while we're hot on yep. that. Yep, yep. Um, you just got done with the Beach Haven tournament. We did. And we're real excited second. about that around here. The 52nd, or they yep. got the 53rd. Yep. And we're real excited about that, obviously, because we're involved with the tournament now. Yep. Glad to have um, you. And, great. you, you know, great. and, and I, the reason, part of the reason I'm excited about it is, A, working with you and Dave. And it's just such a great crew up there. And they're really running that, like, it's a class act operation. Yeah. And so I want, but I wasn't there up there this year. You were. So I want you to kind of, Maybe elaborate if you could on how that event went, and because I know that you know, they had a lot of boats more so than they usually have this year. So I, you know that's my hometown, so it's near and dear to me. It's my home club. Uh, I was a junior angler there. My father was you know one of the very early members, helped to build the clubhouse actually. Uh, so the tournament had gone through uh, you know different gyrations. It was a very successful tournament back in the day. People wanted to come to Beach Haven and fish because you were entertained. You had great food, great camaraderie. And, you know, back in the late 70s, 70s and late 70s and 80s, you know, it was uh, kind of like there was the same 25, 30 boats, you know, fishing offshore. I mean, you knew everybody when you were out. You knew who the, what the boats they were. Not like today where there's, you know, 87 Clorox bottles that all look the same and you're right. trying to figure out who's who. Um, so, you know, the tournament had struggled a little bit. It, it uh, you know, gone through some changes that didn't make sense. They tried a bunch of things that didn't work, and um, one of the guys had called and asked me, even now that I'm back in Beach Haven a little bit, uh, if I would, you know, be on the tournament committee and all. And uh, so we worked all through the winter, Zoom meetings and this and that, and uh, we made a lot of good moves and uh, had a lot of, uh, you know interesting conversations <laughs> like what you know just just you know pushing to get things done mm-hmm. um that's not the way to do it this is how you need to do it um you know gotcha. some of the guys up there never really fished tournaments you know and i fished a bunch of them all over the place you know mm-hmm. internationally nationally whatever and uh so you know uh we pushed and prodded and then we came up with this idea to have this thing called marlin fest and op- use the center of town along the bay front as our way station, much like they do at Big Rock and other places. And uh, that it kind of like got its life of its own, you know, and we got that going, plus making all the changes to the rules. So we, we made, you know, white marlin release category, which we didn't have for, you know, mm-hmm. and put the money in it. We made a blue marlin 
count more than a tuna. It was one of the problems they did is they made it a tuna tournament, and it's the White Marlin Invitational. Yeah. And it always just was a burr under my saddle. It used to piss me off. I'm like, why is a tuna getting more money for a White Marlin? This is stupid. Right. Anyway, so we banged that one out pretty early on. <laughs> got, got that's that a, that's that. a smart move. That's, that's, that's true. Do. It's a White Marlin Invitational. And then we made the Blue Marlin the second largest prize, and then tuna last because it's a Marlin tournament. Um begrudgingly to some of the guys up there who, you know, they, they, uh, they're hardcore tuna guys, and Beach Haven's always been a hardcore tuna place. Uh, it's actually the home of Captain Tom Jones, who we're inducting in the IGFA Legendary Captain's Hall of Fame, and he's a Beach Haven guy that started the bluefin tuna fishery on the East Coast. Uh, he's the guy that really caught the first ones repeatedly and figured out the tackle and how to do it. And uh, so Beach Haven's always kind of been in that kind of place. But uh, anyway, we made these changes. We introduced a release category which we're you know all in with our money and everything and uh, next year we'll definitely be all release blue marlin and uh, I'm pushing hard to make it an all release white marlin tournament too put all the money in it and all it release yeah man let's go if you're gonna be doing it let's do it right I like it um, be the first one and uh, that's uh, our good buddy Mike Myatt from mm-hmm. Papa said you know if you're gonna do something be a leader and uh, that really stuck with me and I was like, you know, it makes sense. And the tournament struggled. Mike's great for driving that kind of stuff home. Well, and, and uh, it made sense because when we did it, and I kept telling the guys, look, if we do this, we will get, you know, partners. We'll have people that want to be a part of the tournament. And we did. Um, you know, we got, uh, you know, Penn came along with us and Berkeley Pro Spec. Um, you know, all of a sudden people started doing things. We got the IGFA to come, and we did uh, the first satellite tagging program in a tournament of any size, uh, for White Marlin, and we, we were able to get three tags in White Marlin, and uh, we have two more to put out. It's not during the tournament, but we'll get them put out under the under the banner of the Beach Haven White Marlin tournament. So that's exciting because that's the uh, really the largest you know data collection opportunity for White Marlin in the Mid Atlantic. So we see where these things go, and we had other partners come in as well. That you know, we had local restaurants. We had you know all sorts of local people from town that you know jumped in the bandwagon and became, you know, partners with us, you know, Scania, uh, Diesel Engines, Mac Boring came in. They've been a sponsor for 52 years of the tournament. Every what? year they've been a sponsor. 52 years as a sponsor? They have been a sponsor every wow. year of the tournament. That's impressive. So they are, are really, really important partners for us. And, uh, you know, they caught some fish. They had a beautiful new 46 Viking Bill fish with their new 900 horsepower motors. And, you know, it was, I mean, it really came together. Bo and I fished on the... Classic 42 Merritt, the 1969 boat. Oh, you did now. We did. Old school. That sounds lovely. We went old school. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, it was, uh, we were like going back in time, right? We were, were you know, the oldest guys on the oldest boat. You know, it's it's said that uh, Roy can take a look at any of those boats and tell you the whole number. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's all 18. And it's also said that, yeah, he can. And it's also said that when you buy a Merritt, you don't really buy it. You're just borrowing it from Roy for a little bit. <laughs> it's true. You borrow it. Yeah. You insure it with him. He fixes them. He, you know, paints them, does everything. Right. When you're ready to sell it, he'll take it right back. Yeah. 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 So this was actually Buddy Merritt's boat. It was his uncle's boat and uh, that he took to Nova Scotia, uh, to Newfoundland, actually, in 1969. And uh, it's now called Pico Flora. The Richardson family from Texas owns it. And, and uh, we took it up the East Coast because we couldn't go to Portugal because of COVID and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. And we just said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, you know, let's go up the coast, do something different. And John said, hell, why not? So, you know, we ate lobsters and crabs and had a good time. What did so, you fish? <laughs> all right, time out. <laughs> time out. So 
How horrible is it that you say, we can't go to Portugal, what are we going to do? And then your alternative is to go up the coast and just eat lobster. First it's world fantastic. problems. It doesn't suck. Right? It's, um, yeah, no, was, you know, you make the best of any situation, right? Yeah. So anyway, the tournament went off, you know, we, we fished and, uh, um, you know, there was a big tuna caught at the end of the deal by uh, one of our committee members, Jay, Jay Broward. And uh, they came in at the last minute under the wire, you know, five minutes to go, the, you know, the whole thing. And the town square was full. We had all kinds of vendors there selling clothing and ice cream. Uh, my buddy Barry, Barry's doing me a flavor in Beach Haven on Center Street. He brought his little ice cream cart down there. They were selling ice cream to the kids. And it was just cool. You know, it was just an old school family yeah. fun, really neat deal. I can't wait to get up there next next yeah. summer. And, uh, yeah. Beach Haven's a great venue for it. You know, it's a you ever been up there? Yeah, town. I've been up there a couple yeah. of fish this year and then yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool spot. It's it's funny when I was walking around. I first went there, like watching American movies and a kid in Australia. Uh-huh. You kind of had your vision of what like certain things were like, and that was like what a seaside town. Oh, yeah. It was like it's quintessential like American you experience. Go, yeah, yeah, it could be in the movies right there. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. And it was like I said, it was a great tournament. Good turnout. Yeah, you know, yeah. A lot of, yeah, good people there every day at the way and it was it was cool when i went up there for the jimmy johnson in atlantic city that was really my first exposure to that region of fishing yeah. Yeah. and i was surprised at like the amount of huge tuna that were brought in and hung during yeah. that tournament it's yeah, like yeah. i kind of expected what i saw with the white marlin thing yep. big eyes you know. man those big it, eyes it's, it's been big. the last couple of years but i mean it's not i mean it's the last couple of years have been exceptionally pretty yeah. good for big eyes yeah the yeah. big eye fish you know, is it not usually this well, consistent well it, it depends i mean every year is different it varies you know some years there's a bunch of white marlin there the white marlin numbers are big and the tuna numbers aren't that big but mm-hmm. the last couple of years it seems like it's been lots of tunas and the white marlin numbers have been so, so, not, you know, nothing hasn't been a really yeah. hot white marlin fishing yet. All right. The season's still on, you know. September's usually the best time for numbers, so it could still go off. But it just seems the last couple of years have been a lot of tuna around. Yeah. Especially big And eyes. blue marlins. And there's guys that, like, are really good big eye fishermen. I mean, they know what's going on, and they're just really good at it. And uh, there's guys, they've, they've really tuned into it, and, and they're su- successful because they're going all the time, and they've figured them out. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's... Not always been a great yellowfin fishery up there. It's kind of been cyclical, but uh, it's come back pretty good. And so you know, it's good. And the fishing for muscular dishery you know? guys got a hundred and twelve yeah. pound yellowfin during yeah. the the Jimmy yeah. Johnson. It's Thank a nice you fish. Very much. You're welcome. And uh, I, you know, like I mean, there's yeah, sure. Dorados, and we got lucky enough and uh, won the won the biggest Dorado. So oh, you um, did? Yeah, a whopper. How big? 19-pounder. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked. It worked. It worked. We won the four pier, some four pier. I can't remember what tournament it was. Years ago with a 10-and-a-half-pound. Yeah. Just barely made the mahi. It was the only mahi he caught in the whole tournament. We so, laugh. You know, we're, yeah. we always kid each other. But we're always like, man, we, you know, we're, we're, we, we don't fish many tournaments. So, you know, or I don't anyway. But, uh, you know, when we do, we, we, we get seem to get in the ones that, uh, you know, aren't the big, big dollars and all that. But we, we – Scrape out a little bit of chicken feed every once in a while. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Never know. Bring it to the dock. You never know. That's right. So sometimes people think that that's strange, right? And you know what else is strange? Our strange questions. Strange questions. From Papa's Pilar. So, Bo, you've never been on the show. So we have every segment. Um, it's called our Papa's Pilar Strange Questions. And they are questions that are that come in from people that you may or may not know. Um, and they're going to ask you a strange question, and we hope you answer it. So, and take it away, Carleen. Gentlemen, this is for both of you. It's from Adrian Gray. Who was your fishing idol growing up? 
And just as a disclaimer, you can't say Dennis Real because that wouldn't well, be, that wouldn't be fair. Yeah. So. Uh, well, you're younger than me, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's been different ones at different times, I guess. Um, for me, anyway. But I, I have to say, uh, I got to fish with some of them. So I think that's for me been the ultimate thing mm-hmm. to fish with the best. Uh, you know, Peter B. Wright. I mean, it's a good know, one. That was a big one. Charles Perry got to work the deck with Charles Perry for eight tuna seasons in Kat Key and Bimini, and uh, loved every minute of it. You know, I learned a lot from Charles. You know, not just about fishing and stuff, but about boat care and getting your job done and keep your head down and work. And you know, um, Gary Stuve. Yep. You know, uh, there was different stages in my career where you go through and you look at a guy and go, wow, man, I just like that guy is such a pro, you know, like, you know, got to work. Yeah. Those are, those are all great, great names. Got to work. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, you got um, some big yeah, idols. Yeah. Well, yeah, probably, um, I mean, uh, Kyle mentioned Charles Perry, CP. He actually worked on my dad's boat. Um, my dad had a mothership of the game, but on the reef back in the day and, um, CP worked with him for a few seasons. And so I got to like, I actually met CP when I was a kid, and I was like looking, at, you know, photos of him, videos him on Dad's boat, wearing big fish. So he was definitely an idol. And then um, Billy Fairburn, another Cairns crew, is a really good fisherman. I actually got to fish a few seasons with him, and yeah, he was definitely one of my idols. And then um, oh, those captains, a lot of good ones, but probably made an impression on me in my early years was Peter Wright, because mm-hmm. I got to see him on the reef running his boat and the way he drove that boat and driving on those fish and taking those fish quickly it was pretty awesome to watch yeah. you know yeah he's definitely yeah that's a, a good one yeah. i'll tell you a big one for me or actually two big ones really if i had the name two for me jose Wehebe would be a big one for me um just yep. growing up in this area down in south florida and yep. down here it's just uber idol you know kind of status um and obviously you know the way that his life ended wasn't ideal um, by any stretch of the means, no. um, but you know, it's, it's funny because I've had a lot of people talk speak very highly of him. Yep. Yeah, and I, I didn't really know. We've never saw his show, or never really knew what he did. But every time his name comes up, it's always yeah, hundred percent. He, he was definitely yeah. a big innovator down here. I got um, to build two boats for Jose, and it was uh, we 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 got along on that scale like really good. We we thought the same way on how a boat should be set up for fishing. Yeah, and it was. Uh, and he was easy, you know, like, I mean, you go to Key West, you go have dinner with Jose, you go have lunch or whatever, and, and then we'd, you know, be at shows, and we'd walk off and go have lunch and talk about boats and fish and everything, and uh, he was just so dedicated to it and uh, uh, passionate, you know, mm-hmm. and a good dude. I mean, fun, right? Good I mean, dude. Like, good, good. D- you know, down I mean, earth and just one yeah, of the guys. You know, and he could he could let loose at times, and, uh, he, you know, he had a couple headaches. but that's part of the deal too right yeah and i gotta give one up to skip too so skip smith skip smith really uh yeah you know is really i didn't mean probably in light tackle stuff skip and bark garnsey i mean when i when i started to realize what light tackle fishing for big fish no question you know you looked at what those guys were doing you're like holy mackerel i mean those guys can walk on water yeah, I mean, in my eyes, you know what I mean. I mean, that's when, just, you know, like growing up, Skip, Skip Smith was always like, you know, for sure, up on the hill to me. And then you know, getting the opportunity to then start working with him on the custom shootouts and doing the artwork for him and everything like that was just epic for me. And I don't, uh, that's one of those words I never use until it's warranted. Like I hate when people say epic, epic, epic all the time. I only use that word when it's actually when it's really true. needed. When it's really true, that that was an epic experience for me. You, you know what's interesting about those? Like I just sit here thinking about it, and I when 
you said Skip, I, you know, shouldn't have let it go. But to me, Skip is uh, one of those cerebral fishermen. Mm-hmm. He's always analyzing. Peter Wright, always analyzing. How can we prove it? How do we do this? Breaking things down. Bart Garnsey, data, data, data. How do we, you know, analyzing, analyzing, analyzing. And uh, I don't know. I think we do a lot of that. You know, like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's kind of like watching the game films and going, okay, what are we doing? And taking in all this information to try and have a better day the next day. And you're just always working at it. That's, that's what I look at, I guess. You know who's like that now? Like really hardcore like that is Art Sap. Art Sap, for sure. Oh, yeah. The results, so, the guy's unbelievable. So Art Sap comes on this show probably about once a month and a half, right, to do what we call our tournament talk episode. And it's really probably our most popular continual episode that we do. If people always want to tune in, like just like in the local area, they just want to hear like mm-hmm. picks, like because he lets it out on the show. He really does. And he tells me, he goes, the reason I do this show with you, he goes, because he goes back and watches the episodes. Like, he'll go back and watch the previous Sailfish season tournament talk in the, in the next year to remember what happened, what the patterns were, because he talks about it all. And he does it to study himself. And then it... it, it when yeah. he said that to me, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I thought you just came on a drunk, drink rum and have a good time. <laughs> what was good about art is he never always said what was good. He always said, like, the bad things that happened to right. him. He'd right. own up to it. If he didn't get the fish or something yeah. like that, or it was his fault in any way, he didn't put it on anybody else, and he did not say it. He would bring it to the table, address it, and then learn from it. And yeah. Had no issue doing that, you yeah. know? He just constantly studies and studies and studies and well, thinks and, and, and thinks and thinks. He's very helpful. I mean, I, I don't know Art that well, but, I mean, we know each other. And he, he, uh, we were fishing a tournament last winter, remember? Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking on the phone and going back and forth, and he was not in the tournament. He's like, man, might want to, might want to. <laughs> and we ended up winning the thing. Uh and that you know, but he was willing to help and give information, you know, to me. I mean, you know, I'm not like one of his tight buds or anything. I know, but that's another guy. great thing about art is that yeah. he knows who you are. Great guy, you know. And you know, if if you've got the respect and the, and the credibility, and so he's going to just. Well, yeah. I mean, if he called me, I'd be like, yeah. "Here's what I got," and I did. Yeah. Like, here's what's here's what I see. Here's what's going on, and that, and you know, you you got to share. You know, you, yeah. you got to share. Yeah. Um, and and he's out there every day too. Every day, every day. He charters. I mean, yeah. he's smart he's the way the he does it. Yeah, you know, what I mean, between tournaments, he's out there chartering, so he's always yeah seeing the he's water, seeing totally the conditions. Dialed in, you know, yeah. he knows yep. right. He's totally dialed in all the time. Yeah, and, and he pays attention. Just obsessive about it. Yeah, like really, yeah. you know, yeah, and a great guy on top of it. Yeah. So, um, so th- we are still in the strange question segment. So yeah. just so you know, I know, we can tend to get sidetracked. Okay. <laughs> and I have a feeling that from this point on, the questions seem to get a little squirrelier, right? After a little bit, yeah. So, what's the most gear you've ever brought abroad? For this one's for Carl. Fishing, sorry, what's the most gear you've ever bring for a fishing abroad shoot with Mike Sosin, Mark Sosin? What's has most f- gear oh. you have brought abroad for fish for a film? Fishing a f- film? This is Adrian this, right? asking, right? <laughs> so so the, the, the classic joke is I shot Mark Sosin's show for a little while. I was, you know, my, my uh, degree is in radio, television, and film, and I uh, did a lot of work. Actually, Shot the uh, Quest for Giant Tarpon show in Homosassa with Stu, Stu App back in, uh, I don't know, 1989 or 90, and we, we won a telly award for it. You know, it's great. I was the second camera and underwater camera guy. So and I want to pause there for a second and, like, you know, also make that clear, like, to, to, to people, like, listening and watching, like, you know, not only, like, catching, but, you know, you, you have an accomplished career in creating footage and content. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like with with the best, the yeah. legends. Yeah, I, uh, Rick Murphy was the guide. Stu was the angler. Um, I did a show, you know, in 1988. I did the the Great Bar- Australia's Great Barrier Reef trip of a lifetime for Ed Murray, and uh, that was on you know fishing with Peter B on the Divekin, and uh, yeah, a lot of other stuff. But anyway. mm-hmm. at any rate, so the most gear, yeah, we uh, the classic story is you know Mark has been in the he was in the industry for a long, long time, and his garage is like the most ultimate tackle shop. And uh, and antique stuff. I mean, like he he's got everything, and uh, we had to always use sponsor gear. So we always had just cases upon cases of not only camera gear and all the stuff we needed, but fishing tackle. And I mean, well, when I went to Australia by myself, we I had thirteen cases in 1989. When we went with Mark, we would have like twenty. Really. Twenty five. Oh, we had you know tackle bags, rod cases. I mean, stuff. I mean, we had everything to do anything, and he was always prepared in that way, you know, and th- that's that was the job. I mean, I was more like a pack mule than anything else because you're <laughs> constantly <laughs> moving the stuff around, you know, and uh, and I got to fish a little bit too. Mm-hmm. You know, we we uh, caught one on a cigar one time. We were sitting there, and somebody made a comment, you know, oh, man, we could catch that fish on anything, and, and Mark goes, you know, I could catch one on that cigar. And uh, somebody goes, no way, no way. I said, give me that cigar. I rigged up a cigar, put it on my truck. Oh, wait, you're an actual cigar? An actual cigar. I thought you were talking the slang for, like, cigar man. No, no, an actual an cigar. An actual Mark, cigar. Mark would always have a big stogie. And uh, so I rig up the cigar, and, you know, we raise a fish. I tease him up. Mark throws it in there. Fish piles on and jumps, and tobacco goes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is a big cloud of tobacco. And uh, anyway, we did stupid stuff like that. It's funny. Nice. Yeah. Carl, has anybody mistaken you for Chris Farley? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, Adrian. <laughs> I don't live in a van. Down, I, don't, I don't live in a van down by the river, but close. <laughs> Pretty close. Sorry, I had to let one in, that let one let that one in. And another one from uh, one from Tiny. Which would you trust more, leftover ostrich, ostrich pizza or one-armed man named Ben, an African <laughs> one-armed man I named Ben? I need the pizza over over the one-armed man. He's a do- <laughs> one of the dodgiest guys ever. So it was Ben. This the guy that killed the goat? No, Ben was the houseboy that uh, that worked for us in Ghana that managed the house. In Ghana. Yes. All right. And he was um, he uh, he didn't he was we call him one-armed bandit because he he. Had on their one arm, he they cut his arm. Well, he told they, he lost his arm in a trotro accident, but we found out that uh, I guess in Ghana, if you get caught three times, they cut your arm off. Three times stealing. what? Stealing. Sorry, stealing. Stealing. And he got caught. He's working with this guy. He got caught th- three, third time, and they took him out the back and chopped his arm off with him. Come on. And and yeah, and it's on. Yeah, and obviously the doctors over there couldn't didn't fix it that well. I mean, it's healed, but the, the bone still sticks up out like that. So whenever he gets, whenever he goes like this and waving his arm, his bone like he's going like <laughs> wiggling around, and you can't like not look at the bone. You're trying to look at him, and be serious. But it's a chicken so, wing. So distracted by the bone. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No. no. Yeah, he was stealing He was taking money off us for a while, stealing it. So then we we got rid of him. Find him, thankfully. You didn't cut his other arm off? Yeah, I was just saying. No, 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 yeah, yeah, we so wait, 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 wait. you got caught stealing so much, someone cut your arm off and you still kept jacking shit? Still stealing. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So okay. he stole Tiny, from you Tiny, too? Tiny was the one that was onto it first. He, he realized it and he came to clay and I was like, he's ripping us off. And then we, we you know, caught him for it and got rid of him. It's yeah. just Are you kidding me? No, no, he didn't learn. 
<laughs> you stole so many times right. that you had your arm cut off, and you still kept stealing? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know. Jesus, hey, Ben. Hey, look at the government. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Moving on, moving on. Good point, good point. Hold on, time out for a second. (laughs) Time out for a second. Uh, Ben, okay? (laughs) So, all right. He was your houseboy. What does this mean? Well, pretty much like he, um, he managed the house for the guy who owned it. And then when we rented it to to when we started fishing out of there, he came with the house. So he was like he would um, and then when we by no choice of you, he just no, came with the no, house. No, pretty much. Yeah, it's like he he works for the house, so he works for you guys now. Okay. So, yeah, he worked for us, and he would run errands for us and grocery get do the shopping and slowly yeah. put the cash in his pocket. Kill the goats. Kill the nah. He he might have been gone by the goats. All right. He was gone. We got rid of him. All right. I'm good. Sorry, Carleen. It's okay. I'm going to read this one word for word. So I know I slipped up in the last one. This one's from Dave Wittenburn. This is for Carl. All right. Yeah. Got to read that one slow. Read this one slow and word for word. Right. Is your biggest pet peeve when people leave skid marks in the head? Or is it when people leave skid marks in the head? And why is it when people leave skid marks in the head? (laughs) Quiring wines want to know. That's what mates are for. <laughs> yeah. You Dave know. was adamant about this. Clean up after yourself. Come on. And don't go downstairs and puke in the toilet. Don't do that to the mates and the crew. Throw up overboard and clean up after yourself. I'd rather yourself. skid marks in the head than, yeah. than uh, chicken skin on the teeth. Because yeah. you can scrub the skid mark off. True story. You have to scrub the whole deck. Yeah. Yeah, when the fried chicken <laughs> comes out, please somebody get the hose out. Hose the teak off first. Jesus, don't let you know. Because then we gotta, you know, we got to clean the teak again because... But yeah, skid marks. Yeah. All right. That's your pet peeve? So. Well, no. You know, What's your pet peeve then? Uh, What's your biggest pet peeve? I could tell you what mine is. I don't know. What do you think? But what what would you think my what bothers me the most? I don't even know. A lot. <laughs> I can tell you know what my biggest pet peeve is? Waiting in lines. Mm. Cal gets mad if you don't put enough mayonnaise on his sandwich. What? Don't, don't, <laughs> don't give me a, Don't give me sandwich. a dry sandwich. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. like a dry sandwich. A God damn it. Give me some mustard. <laughs> give me some mayo. Don't give me a dry sandwich. God you're, dang you're it. particular. I want a damn sandwich that's got some stuff. Is it stuff. Miracle Whip or is it oh, no, Hellman's? It's, it's Hellman's okay, and it's, it's French's. In a van down by the river. Damn right. <laughs> yeah, and, you, and hopefully bring me a beer at the end of the day so when we're riding in I can chill out a little. All right. I hate waiting in lines. I feel like just like you're just wasting lines. your life. Yeah, waiting in lines is bad. This yeah. is why I don't like going to Disney with uh, my kids. Yeah, no. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm just like I'm going to spend a hundred bucks ahead to go and just wait in lines all day. I don't have a lot of patience, so yeah, I. I uh, yeah. All right. Well, this is the end of our strange questions. So thank you, Carlene. Thanks, Carlene. Thanks, Carlene. Right, and um, usually we pick a winner uh, to send a T-shirt to, but um, so we'll send a T-shirt to all those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're all winners they in all our good, book. They were all right? good questions. Yeah, especially my good, my good buddy Adrian Gray. Right, so. Adrian always has good ones. He had good ones the last time mm-hmm. we were yeah. I was here. Yeah. So shout out to Adrian. Love you, brother. Um, all Tell right, cool. So listen, we were talking about the Beach Haven and the Mid-Atlantic yep. stuff, right? Yep. Um, I know that before the show we had talked about wiring fish and all these other kind of things that you wanted to kind of get into. Um, 
And we can. So by all means, take it away. So like, you know, when you're running a boat and you're going to places where you have a shot at really good fish and quality fish, you know, the chain's only as strong as the weakest link. Mm-hmm. And in my case, that's usually me. But if I hire great guys mm-hmm. like Bo, then I know that we can put it together. And <laughs> she you know, made that one a little strong. So, I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it's my girl. When it comes to going somewhere, yeah, that's kind of what makes a good drink. Anyway, Bo is the guy you want in the cockpit. Uh, mm-hmm. As I, you know, when I think about stuff like that, and when I know I'm going to do something or fish a tournament and everything, I mean. Uh, Bo's zipping around down there. He knows what to do. He's fast and everything. But when it comes to getting a quality fish on and you need somebody that knows what's going on, pulling on it, you've got to have the right guy. Because if the guy doesn't know what he's doing and he's trying to wire a fish, a lot of things can go wrong. And that's usually where the fish is lost at the end game. And you can't take a chance. So, you know, and, you know, you always want to fish with your friends. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to fish with Bo a lot. And I know I got the best in the cockpit that there is. And, He's the guy. I mean, go on uh, YouTube and type in Bo Jennings wiring Blue Marlin, and it's uh, like a never-ending thing. You could sit there for four hours watching him wire fish, and it's incredible. You know, I got to say one thing. We are actually, and this is going to make sense, we are actually transforming the format of the show. We're going to be part of the Waypoint Network soon, right? And the reason I bring this up is that we're kind of like redesigning, like, the, the logo of, of the show a little bit because we're like, well, if we're going to redesign it, we're going to redesign it now, right? Because before we transfer into this new format with Waypoint, get on board with them, everything like that, I'm not going to do that in the middle of that. I'm going right. to do it now while we transfer everything over, right? Right. So I'm starting to think, I'm like, man, we're, you know, we talk more about big game on this show than inshore stuff like that. Although I have a passion for inshore, we all do, right? We're just mm-hmm. natural anglers, all of us, right? A fish is a fish is a fish is a fish, right? Yep. And really, at the end of the day, and you just want to think like it and, and get a hold of it and master it. But really big game is the focus of this show. It really is. Like most of the guys we bring are just like big game, world-class guys that, that are just the best of the best. Um, so we're putting that, uh, an element of that in, in our brand, for, for, for the new show so I wanted to bring that up just to mention to you like this is like the creme de la creme of what we want to discuss right at the end of the day and I kind of explained to you before we started the show that it's not really a fishing show it's more just like a bunch of guys getting together that actually we all fish you know and we just talk about whatever fishing is inevitably inevitably going to arise or conversations about it and here we are right and so I want to kind of just drive home the point that when it comes to what he just kind of set you up with, this is really what, you know, life's all about, right? Is is that that big fish, that that big blue, that that big tuna, that, you know, the, those big game fish that you sl- on the deck and you're just like... <sighs> Right. Yeah. yeah well, I, I think it's you know it's kind of the you know the ultimate test in our sport is being taking a big fish, yeah. getting it in the boat. You know, I mean, these days it's come become a lot about releases and numbers and kind of gone away from the catching big fish like we used to be. But uh, I still think that's the ultimate test. You know, for any any for how good you think you are at this, trying to take that big green fish, see how good you really are. No doubt. Your your yeah. life path has been this. Yeah, I've always I've based my career around chasing big areas where you catch big fish. Yeah, fishing for big ones for sure. Why? 
I just like the challenge of going for the catching the biggest fish. You know, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with catching small billfish; they're a lot of fun. But uh, they're just they're just not really much of a challenge. You know, you're catching them on a, especially these days. You know, when I was a kid, we used to use, you know, twelve and sixteen pound. Now you, everyone uses thirty pound line. Most of it slightly over test, and you're catching yeah. fish that aren't much bigger than the line class. Yeah. You know, so it's just not really that challenging. Where I like trying to catch a, a fish, you know, an eight or nine or a thousand pound fish on a one thirty. You know, the tackle, I think, is matched well of the fish, and yep. it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I like about Truth it. Truth behold, size matters. <laughs> Absolutely. <The what>? <laughs> Absolutely. 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 In, in yeah. many things. I completely missed that. Size does matter. Oh, size does... Oh, sh- oh, I can see why you don't want to repeat that. <laughs> Isn't she the best? <laughs> of course. She is. So we, we, we prefer our, our, our bartenders to understand everything about the world of world-class fishing, and she certainly does. Um, Carlene, please tell me, right, who is your biggest inspiration growing up fishing? Can you answer that question for us? You can't say Dennis Real. Because it's funny, because I started out lake, lake bass fishing when I was a kid. I used to fly fish, do a little trout fishing out in Jackson Hole, stuff like that, go to Montana and everything. And then I had the work my way up through the, you know, crewing on boats, and that got me to be on, on deck and then started fishing. Like, oh, I can make a living fishing. And then I had some really good opportunities, actually, where I met you. That's right. You know, I met you up north catching some big blue fins, and I fished with some of the some of the top guys there. Don't need to mention any names or so, but we know who everybody, the couple gentlemen up there that fish. And yep. it's funny because... Actually, Mr. Roberts, James Roberts, is one of the guys that's funny because he's, he's yelling at you. He's like, yeah, yelling, yelling, yelling. I'm like, whoa, you know, and that's what he does is he yells at you. Well, the next day around, we're fishing again, and he's not yelling. I'm like, well, but it's when he's yelling at you, it, it makes the adrenaline starts going. You're, you know, it's part of the, you know, gets you in the chair. It's part of the deal. The next day, he's like, wasn't yelling. I was like, did I do something? He's like, no, you listened. He didn't have to yell at me the next day because right. I took the technique that he gave me and I implemented it to the next day fishing and we caught more granders and however however it went about. And that was just like a really good, just, just sit back and see who I was sitting with and then realize I was like, this is a really, really good trip. Yep. You know, so that's not, you know, that was a good good moment in time too there. And then it's just escalated, you know, for more big game fishing kind of style from then on out, I'd say. Nice. How, so. how big was that fish we harvested that year? Was it like eight something? I actually got a photo of that. I think it was... Um, I know it was 80 wide by like 122, yeah. if I can remember correctly. Yeah, you know, it's a nice fish. I've got, I definitely got a photo of it yeah. and when we dressed it and everything like that. But yeah. there was a couple that swam through that were pretty big. Yeah, we had some other ones that were the vibe member saying that one's a bus. That one's that, and we, he didn't come back around, but which they usually do. But anyway, we did harvest a nice one that year for the for the guy that owned the boat. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. yeah, that's nice. I don't really nice. know. It's a good question. i got to think about that. It's more of an experience because I had, you know, different styles of fish, and it's more the different experiences that I've had that really... I think that's a unique... You know what? I'm glad you brought that up with the styles because I want to ask you a question, right? And I think we've discussed this before, too. Um, and I want to see if you can maybe shed a light on this or maybe even confirm it or deny it, right? But we raise a question on this show a lot about South Florida, Pompano. It's kind of like a Mecca for fishing, right? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that Hillsboro is... Inlet is like iconic. Yeah, so if you go all over the world to these great fishing spots, Madeira, Los Sueños, Panama, right? Chances are you're going to find someone from Pompano there, 
right? Florida guys are spread far and wide. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, 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 you mean just this area? Yeah. So, I mean, throughout the time, too, because look at Obi O'Brien, Peter Wright, Bart Garnsey. Skip. I mean, Skip Smith. Well, Skip is Fort Lauderdale, but, you know, well, same, I mean, same area, same yeah, kind of thing. But, I mean, you know, as you're coming through, I mean, back in the day, the Hillsborough Inlet guys, they were the ones in Kaki because mm-hmm. of the merits, you know? Your buddy and Alan Merritt, I mean, Alan Merritt's the king of Kaki, no matter what anybody says. You know, he fished the tournament 11, 12 times. He placed in at 11 and won seven of them or something. Mm-hmm. Or seven, something yeah. Like some ridiculous. Yeah. I, can't, I, I know it, but I can't remember. Anyway, so, yeah, Hillsborough Inlet, Pompano, for sure. And it's funny, like, I, I you know, I ended up here, but, I mean, I, I'm, I don't consider myself one of those guys. But, you know, I yeah, got but you're here. Out, but I got to fish out You've been of here a long time. Yeah, yeah. Fished out of Stewart for a long time. I always have crappy inlets. You know, Beach Haven Inlet sucked. Then I go to Stewart. That's not a great inlet. Then I come here. It's not great. You know, that's St. Lucie. Like, yeah, St. Lucie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I never had the big, wide, nice, easy inlet. (laughs) You know, I always had a bar I had to run across. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess what we talk about, and listen, I hate to beat this to death, and you you know I do. Like, like Justin's over there giving me the thumbs up. Like, you know, I do, right? But I guess it's pride, a little bit of pride talking. Right, but it's just really kind of like I'm kind of noticing, like if it, w- what other place in the world there are probably other places there are other places in the world that that a lot of great anglers come from a lot a lot of accomplished anglers come out of, but if you look at Pompano and I'm going to include all of South Florida in this conversation because you talk about the innovation mm-hmm. of the things that with, with the planer fishing and with with the kites fishing and 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 the things that hap- happened here. The daytime sorting and everything like that, right? It, it all the from here. The mullet came from here. Yeah. And so what's your perspective as a guy from Australia that now lives here on that kind of idea? And I want the honest truth. Like, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. I mean, I, I think there's, there's... And I know there's a lot of great anglers that come from a lot of great places. Over, so sure, I mean, I'm I mean, talking about pound for pound kind of thing. South Florida is like, it, you could kind of call it the hub of really the sports fishing world. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at, like, you know, what goes on in the sports fishing world, a lot of stuff comes, goes through Florida, comes out of here. I mean, it's a real central location for it. And as far as the fishermen goes, I think, you know, there's, there's like you were talking about, the Keys all the way up to Stewart, you know, even further north from there. I mean, you've got a lot of good fishermen. But what I think benefits Florida is a lot of good other fishermen have come from other places and come into Florida and That's taught point. the local guys and help them a lot out as well. It's a good, you good, know, I think, great I think point. I'm glad you brought that up, actually. Yeah, guys from North Carolina, you know, when guys started in their little areas, they would just fish their own areas, and then guys started to travel and go over and do tournament. like Texas guys would come here, or Florida guys would go to Texas, North Carolina guys would come down here for the winter, they'd go, they'd go to Eastleigh, you know, and then the guys started travelling. So I think once that happened, and then, and it's, it gets more and more every year, you yeah, know, you sharing, see it amongst you know, the fishermen sharing of information, of information you True. know, and that's that's huge. You know? It's yeah. an outstanding take on that yep. because that's not something that I would always comment on, but, but that's, that's the amount of people that come here from other places too. It's really, really, that's true, right? And, and information is king at, the, at that point, and you're, you're taking influences and, and different things from other places. It's good. I like that. We made some progress on the topic today with that that's comment. A, that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Bo knows. Yeah, Bo knows. Bo knows. Bo knows. <laughs> so there are a few other things that you wanted to kind of bring up today, right? We got the so, wiring thing. So, yeah. So, you know, wiring technique and stuff. And Bo, you know, learned from Charles Perry pretty much and other guys. But well, but probably you taught yourself by doing it, right? 
Yeah, talk Billy Fairburn. I, I was lucky to get a lot of chances to wire fish mm-hmm. too. You know, um, uh, like on, on heavy leader, and you know, and some nice fish. So you know, early on on the reef, so I got a lot of ch- experiences to grab the heavy leader and pull on and feel like what the fish can do on the leader and how to control them. And yeah, I was lucky. I got some training early. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And that that's something you know that kind of worries me. You know, is and this is something else on the topic is you know these days everyone's fishing really light leader. You know, they're dink bait fishing with. 80 pound fluoro, some of lighter, you know, and that's all these guys get to pull on. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, occasionally the fish leak the lure or they'll pitch at a 50 and have it on a heavier leader, but a lot of the fish they're catching on the light tackle and they just, you know, you see them, they get the leader and they get a couple of wraps and it breaks off. They're not getting to get the experience to learn how to pull on leader. Right. Because everyone's, you know, doing the, doing the, you know, dink bait fishing these days, which is fine. I get it, it where it's effective, but it's kind of taking the wine and out of the game a little bit. Yeah, when a little bit, right? To, when yeah. you get a couple wraps and then the guy pops off and then you're like, hey, off, we caught the fish. And the yeah, fa- And the fact that you're not taking fish. Because, again, right. the end game is where it'll have some. And, you know, like Peter B. was always adamant, like, if we're going to let him go, we have to get a tag in it to count it. And he did that so that there was control of the fish next to the boat. And if you did have to take one, you had a better shot. It was as close as you could get to taking one, right? Thank you. And that's that, that whole window of experience is diminished because we're so focused on release which uh, you know I, i'm all i'm all in but you know but taking a fish is, is it's another game i mean you know taking a fish is another game you got to put the gaff in one man yeah better have your stones ready and if right. it's a nice one and you better be ready to hold on and, and if you better have some help when he's green and that's why you need a guy like Bo on the wire to be yeah. able to, you know to be able to get the fish there and have control of the fish next to the boat and like for a guy driving like I do now, uh, you know, I, I know that I know that if I can put him in the right place, we got a better shot of taking that fish. If I got somebody that doesn't know how to wire, I'm like, oh shit, you know, you know, get the gifts in. <laughs> hey, I mean, to, just to put it into perspective, because you know, you throw around numbers. Oh, we caught a 600 and something marlin, or we caught a oh, it was a 400 pound marlin, or oh, it was eight grander, right? All right. Put 800 pounds in front of you in this room right now and see what you do with it. Like a Volkswagen. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of weight. It's a big animal. 800 pounds. And totally. 1,000 pounds. And, and totally unpredictable. And totally, and moving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you got a boat moving too, so you, you know. Now, I understand it's in water. And a, and a plane. And I understand it's buoyant and all, and all that, you know, but you got to control that thing and put that thing on the deck. I mean, even if it's even if it's tired and done, that's still a eight hundred, a thousand pounds of meat. It's really, even you know that dead weight coming up. Dead weights, yeah, oof. yeah. Like well, s- and then it's work, man. And oh then yeah. pull them in the boat. And pull them in the boat because a lot of boats yeah. today aren't made to pull them in the boat. Not you know, right. the, the door is no. you know a foot and a half over the water line. The door's too small. It's not made right. The door doesn't. You know, the boat builders haven't done a good job of. Getting that so right? About, Are you communicating <laughs> that to them? I am. I'm definitely communicating it to them. They haven't a clue. Who's doing it the best right they now? They haven't a clue. Roy Merritt. Still to this day. I mean, you, you know, you look at the Merritt, and it doesn't matter whether it's 37 foot or yeah. 86 foot. That door is the same size. Yeah. yeah. On every boat. <laughs> yeah. They build them to pull, you know, big tuners in the in the boat. I mean, and it's for it. close to the water. The way that Roy does the tuna doors now, even on the big boats, like you can still get them in. And then you get on other boats, and you go, "How in the hell are you?" You know, I mean, I watched some guys. There for show. I watched some guys in Bermuda in uh, 2007 
Um, they caught a grander, and uh, they were like an hour and a half trying to figure out how to get it in the boat. They had no idea. The tuna door is just... <laughs> You know, like, they didn't have a strap to hold the tuna door open. The tuna door was way too high. It was too small. It wasn't big enough. I mean, it was it was just a, it was just a circus. And like, we threw him over our face gaff. You know, with face gaff is a hook. You put it in the, in the fish, and then you tie it up his bill, and then you got something else. More, and, a, you know, and then you have a, a uh, you know, a, a different way to try and get leverage. And uh, on, on really, really big fish, you know, if you're smart, you got a little ball, and you tie that on his tail to float his tail up, and... <laughs> Otherwise, his tail's falling down. There's a lot of technique and a lot of tools, right, that are available to, to mm-hmm. kill fish. But if the boat, if you, you know, like if you can't get them in the boat, I mean, that's why the, the merit boats and the early Rybovichs and still uh, Michael still does a good job too. His uh, his new boat that I saw, it's it's right. And but those boats were made to kill fish, mm-hmm. and they crews that ran them told them what they needed, you know. And you had Buddy was you know. They were pulling fish in the door now, and, you know, they didn't want to have to work hard at it. They wanted it to be easy and done right. That's why it was designed that way, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of boat builders that have no idea how to do it. So They're, they're probably more focused on releasing fish and yeah. taking a smaller tuna. Yeah, and, you know, and, they're, and the people that are on those boats maybe aren't necessarily, you know, Trophy hunting for big fish, right? Yeah, I would say. Yeah, it's more important to the, few uh, the proud, right? Have drink holders and stuff. That's you know. Yeah, yeah. have a bunch of flags. Not a slight. <laughs> not a, not a slight. But I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm no, 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 no. Yeah, listen, there's the one thing this show is not about. Yeah, is about throwing any anyone under the bus yeah. or gotcha questions. Yeah, no, I, I really w- and I've always said that from day one. Like yeah. this is this is just a bunch of people hanging out, drinking and and talking. It's a fishing show, or it's a it's a fishing show that's not about fishing yeah right something like that mm-hmm. right so any yeah. boat with any boat with the right guys on it is going to catch a ton of fish you can you can yeah right it's the zodiac the, or whatever the boat's the tool know? right yeah but the boat doesn't know how to rig doesn't know how to find them doesn't know how to the boat just gets you there it's a vehicle to get you there yeah and what you do with it when you get there is the difference and you go back to the old man in the sea yeah yeah 87 days in the little wooden boat yeah right yeah. Biggest marlin anyone's ever seen in their lives. So the story goes. And and it's a good story. Yeah. It's a good story. So listen, gentlemen. Let's raise a glass. Skull. Skull. I love it. You know, I've been watching The Last Kingdom there and I'm getting my Viking on. So yeah. I want to thank you guys for coming in today. Bo, pleasure, pleasure meeting you. Right, and I always love when I meet someone for the first time on the show. That's why I like when you come in and I'm like, I don't talk to you. Like, I want all that to be fresh for the show. Right. You know what I mean? So, yep. I appreciate it, man. You did a great job today. So, cool. Um, Carlene. Carlene, thanks for the great thanks, rums. Carlene. Love you. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Awesome. Justin, solid. <laughs> He's laughing when I say that. It's moving dolls. Carl. Thanks, buddy. Thanks Seriously. for the help with everything. I, I appreciate your time, I my appreciate friend. Appreciate it. We'll always. Uh, always do. We'll have, a, uh, we'll have a good time on the 53rd. <laughs> yep. Absolutely, hundred percent. Um, I want to remind everybody that if you're in the market for a new vehicle, particularly a Ram truck, or a Jeep, actually I am, or a Jeep. Yeah, are you really? <laughs> well, then you're in luck. My truck died yesterday, so <laughs> got a, you've come yeah. to the right place. Bo's got a vehicle problem. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Head on over to JoeyGardyChrysler.JeepRam. Talk to my boy Dean. Tell him I sent you. Okay. If you do, 
might get a better deal than most people will. I'm just at least they'll talk to you. About at least they'll talk to you. Yeah, at least they'll you know. Um, and don't forget. Oh, to try. We cannot forget the Papa, the greatest rum on salt water. Thousand percent. Pops. We had um, my aunt and my sister uh, from California came in today, and they had yet to try the sherry cask. And I just poured them straight shots right in the plastic cups, and they said, wow, that is fantastic. Yeah. And I said, it's true. And a lot of people don't realize that the unique thing about Papa's Pilar Rum is that it is housed in bourbon and aged in bourbon yeah. casks and, and barrels. And this is sherry cask. This is the sherry cask that we are in, and we are loving it. So Great uh, great partner for the Beach Haven Tournament as well. 1,000%. Um, yeah. Yep. Fun people. Uh conservation-oriented, and they do a great job. Very conservation-oriented, and they remind you never to be a spectator, and they are keeping the Hemingway tradition alive. Papa would be proud. Absolutely. Um, we want to give a shout-out to Papa's Raw Bar as well. Uh, they have the Connected by Water sushi menu right down the street here in Lighthouse Point. Great spot. Which we are proud um, to be associated with our uh, synergistic family. Great spot. Um, we want to give a shout-out to ACR. And what we always say every episode, and I'm going to say it again because I cannot drive this home enough with people. If you've left the inlet and you're on a boat and you don't have your EPIRB on board, turn your boat around, and go, go back to shore, get your EPIRB, and get then head back out. Get an EPIRB. Yeah, Save absolutely. Your life. And our folks at ACR are the best. Especially when you're fishing up in the mid-Atlantic and you're offshore 60, 80, 100 miles. you got to have all your safety gear ready. It's no joke. It yep. is no joke. You've so, Justin, you got your mic on because I wanted you to feature the new product that they talk about. Yeah, now they've got uh, kind of a competitive product with, like, Spot and, you know, Garmin and stuff like that. It's called the Bivy. It basically allows you to uh, enjoy two-way text communication while you're while you're out there. It's not just the, oh, the stuff has hit the fan anymore. Uh, now you can have that functionality. Which would be an SOS button. Exactly. Right. They have an SOS button with right. it. Uh, but then you can also one button check in and then track, you know, share your location, stuff like that. Pretty cool. That is cool. So it's a little, it's kind of cool too because not only for offshore stuff, but if you're down in like Flamingo. Yes. And there's spots in there that you get no reception. Absolutely. And your wife's like, hey, when are you coming home for dinner? Absolutely. You can, you can say, I don't know who you are. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, listen, there's, it's, there, there's been a lot of times when those kind of things are, uh, have come in to save yeah. somebody. There's spots here and in Oakland Park where I know. can't get reception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's by design. Yeah, yeah. Wives yeah. <laughs> um, aside. Yeah, right. So, um, do we leave anyone out? Are we 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 rolling? On the, the, we, if you, uh, oh yeah, we have the Pop Amigos over here. You want to set up? You want to get yourself uh, some some sushi tacos, and also if you want um, to get something, go to shop.cvboats.com. We are featuring the D Frio collection from CV Boats. Um, so get yourself some fine CV gear that we designed and produced and distributed to you. Very cool. So we good? That, oh, and uh, we want to give a shout out to our pal. Just <laughs> remind me, it's like you're talking about these guys. Oh, we were proud to be part of the Ma- Maui Gym and um, Oka- uh, Olakai Ohanas. So we want to give a shout out to those guys. So, um, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in today. Thanks um, for we us. appreciate your time, and uh, I'm sure we'll continue this up at the Polar Bar. Uh, for more rum drinking and fish storytelling. So, all right, your ego is not your amigo. Always do your best, and at the end of the day, just remember to let God do the rest. And don't ever forget that no matter where we are, even if we're in Australia, right, no matter what we're doing, we are. 
Always. Connected by water. Thank you, gentlemen. Cheers.